And thank you very much, Katie and Lauren, for that. Uh, and I am Tim Rogers, lead pastor here at Grace Point. Welcome online for those watching us online. Um, and I love what our kids' ministry does for us, by the way. They do an amazing job. Uh, Katie, I've said it privately, I've said it publicly, I think does a tremendous job in what she's doing. Um, and so thankful for her and the lead team, Liana, Lauren, and Megan, and, and Katie. Um, and so this week, I don't know what you all were doing this week, but this Wednesday night, I had an incredible experience, speaking of kids' men, all right? I went and I got beat at a game of mini golf by a bunch of kids uh, at Village Greens, all right? Uh, the kids from our kids' ministry, um, Katie had lined it up that if you're going to, uh, if you're willing to memorize some uh, books of the Bible, uh, then we will reward you by giving you a chance to go beat the pastors in uh, mini golf at Village Greens. And so that's what happened uh, Wednesday night, and so we had a great time uh, doing that. And, uh, you know, I don't know if you all, how many have ever been to Village Greens right down in Strasburg? All right, yeah, quite a few, very good. All right, so you know the, uh, the joy and the pain of the mini golf experience uh, all at the same time. Mini golf is a game of adversity in some ways, overcoming adversity that's thrown in your way. You'll see one hole down here in the bottom left, and Emmaus um, knocking that ball right through the barn doors that are opening up, except that the barn doors are designed to make it difficult to get through, right? So as soon as you think it's clear to, to hit your shot right down the middle, those things tend to close, and you just hear your ball go plunk, right off the, the wooden doors just as they close before your ball gets through. And, and it doesn't take much for you or for me to see the parallels to life at all, does it? I mean, life is full of adversity, not unlike each hole on the mini golf course, whether it's a leaf that was improperly placed or one of those little like twirly helicopter things that fall from the trees. They have a little end to them that can actually impact the roll of a mini golf ball. I don't know if you know that, on the way to a hole and it gets in your way. You weren't planning on it being there, but it was there. And there's some people, I don't know who it was, who would hit it out of the green and off the thing into the stream and into the weeds or whatever, and, and it's just full of stuff like that. And they intentionally make it hard on you, right? Like, you can't just sit there and, and hit it straight forward. And so life, you know this, you know this, because your life is full of stuff like this all the time. It seems like just as soon as I have a clear path for whatever, for my next financial goal, for my next plan for my education, for my next plan of my career, for my hopes for my kids, for my own health, as soon as the path looks clear, you take it, you just line it up, take a shot, and then sometimes the barn doors close and plunk. Like I'm not getting where I thought I was going to get in the way that I thought I was going to get there. And this morning in our series called The Secret uh, of, Con of Finding Contentment, is that what I'm calling this? The secret, secret of Being Content. I should learn what I'm calling my series, The Secret of Being Content. Um, I want to talk about um, adversity, but adversity this morning, not just that it exists or that it is difficult, because you all know that already. I think there's an ancient nuance to adversity that the Apostle Paul brings us in the, the text that we're going to find this morning that I hope will be encouraging to you. Now, the reason I'm calling this series The Secret of Being Content is because these are the exact words that Paul used when he's writing his letter to the church in Philippi. In Philippians chapter 4, which we'll get to in, in several weeks from now, he says, I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. Now, as I'm getting older, I find that an incredibly compelling statement to make, that if someone has said at the end of their life, especially someone who's in prison and who's gone through a tremendous amount of hardship, and he says, I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, you have got my attention. And when I think about what is it that makes him say that, I trace that statement all the way back through the letter, even to the very beginning of it, which is essentially where we are this morning. And so this morning is in the context of the secret of being content. I want to make a case about contentment in the midst of adversity. And I hope that it can be encouraging for you 
this morning, whatever you're facing. So if you have a Bible, I'm going to invite you to turn with me to that little letter that Paul wrote to the church in Philippi, which thankfully we have now copies of ourselves. Philippians chapter 1, beginning at verse 12 is where we're going to start, going to cover through verse 26, I think, this morning. Um, if you don't own a Bible, there's one in the chair near you. That is our gift to you. We'd be glad to have you take it with you uh, this morning. Um, and I, as I tend to do, I'm going to read a few verses and then make some comments and kind of intersperse that way uh, as we go. So I'm reading from the New International Version, beginning at verse 12. Uh, Paul writes, again, from prison, Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. And as a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I'm in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. Now, let me just begin with a couple of comments this morning. Uh, one of the things I appreciate about Paul is his honesty. He honestly talks about where he is. He is in prison in Rome for the gospel. He was arrested, and so he doesn't fly by that. He says, I want you to know that what has happened to me has served to advance the gospel. So he's speaking about the fact that he is in prison. Now, it seems really straightforward, right? Like, well, Tim, of course he would write that he's in prison. That's fairly obvious. True, true. I would agree with you. At the same time, I would say this. I have seen many people in different kinds of prisons who are not honest that they are there. It is difficult to be honest about the prison of depression. It is difficult to be honest about the prison of anxiety. It is difficult to be honest about the prison of your own disappointment or disillusionment or your own struggles with your identity or even the deep faith questions that are holding you captive. It's difficult to be honest about those prisons. And so Paul begins and he says, right away, here is where I am. I'm physically in prison. Here's where I am. I'm in prison. Let me just say where I am. It doesn't end there. And he says very clearly in the end of verse 12, what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. Now, how did it advance the gospel? Two ways. Next verse says it. As a result, he says, here's the first advancement, it's become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I'm in chains for Christ. So one of the ways that advance it is that Christ is exalted. His name is known. That's one way that this adversity has advanced. But then there's another way in verse 14. Because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. The other way that serves to advance the gospel is that the people who are not in prison, but the people impacted by Paul's response to his imprisonment are being strengthened. Now, here's what you know already. You know that pain gives you a platform, right? You know that. You've talked to people who have dealt with cancer, who've dealt with the loss of loved ones, who have dealt with estrangement from a spouse, who are dealing with children who are going here and there and doing other things. You've dealt with significant uh, issues and heard people who've gone through very difficult times. But when you interact with people who've gone through a lot of pain or adversity, and their response is one where you look at them like, man, how? How are you still standing? How do you still praise God? You know, to Greg's point this morning, we choose still to worship in the middle of pain, right? How is it you still choose to do that? You know that pain gives you a platform. And so when people have a chance, like let's say you're in prison in Rome, 
and you have a chance to use that pain as a platform, the end result is that people around you, in this case, are becoming confident and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. And whether we like it or not, adversity often leads to the greatest gains in life. If we went mini-golfing and there were no obstacles in our way, we wouldn't return. It wouldn't be fun. It wouldn't be challenging. It wouldn't be frustrating. All of it at the same time. And you know this as well as I, that adversity, even as painful as some of the greatest adversity is, it leads to the greatest gains in life. But it's not easy. Let me not sugarcoat it. Look what happens next for Paul, because what's happening for him in the middle of this imprisonment is not just that he's away in prison, but in his absence, other people are trying to take advantage of him. Verse 15, he says, it's true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. I want you to imagine what's happening right here. Paul, the main leader of the early church, is away in prison. And now other people see that there's been kind of a movement of followers of Jesus. Now here's an opportunity if you're an entrepreneur. Here's an opportunity to gain your own following. Because a leader has just been put in prison, there's a vacuum of leadership. And so why not take the opportunity to preach Christ and maybe say, well, listen, Paul didn't quite get this right. Come follow me. And Paul can't defend himself. And this is what is happening, is that people on the outside of prison, people who are in this era in which Paul is living, are saying, listen, the way Paul did it, the way he said it, it might not quite be right on. In fact, maybe we disagree with him. We're trying to stir up trouble against Paul. But really, what they're doing is out of selfish ambition, trying to get people to follow them by degrading Paul and saying things about him that simply aren't, aren't true. If you've lived life long enough, you will have this happen to you. There'll be plenty of people who will misunderstand you, who will wonder about the decisions you make, who will wonder, question and doubt, maybe go a different direction. And for Paul, I love what he does. Essentially what he's saying is it's not worth chasing down every divisive comment. It's not worth chasing down every person who tries to ruin your reputation. What does it matter, he says, ultimately, what does it matter? Whether Christ is preached from false motives, that is, people just wanting to gain their own platform, or true motives, where they don't care about their platform, they only care about Christ. The important thing is that Christ is preached. The important thing is, is that the gospel is made known. And so I love his orientation on this, that it's not just about defending my own identity, defending my own sense of self. Well, how does he get there? How does he get to that point? Because that's not an easy place to get to. He says this at the end of verse 18. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice. Verse 19, for I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now as always Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. This is where, as I read through this text a couple different times, it finally struck me, a nuance on adversity 
from an ancient letter that I don't think I'd really seen to this degree before. I'm going to take you with me to see it with me, and you can decide if you see it or not. But look at verse 19 again. He says, For I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. That phrase, what has happened to me and will turn out for my deliverance. He's acknowledging that there's a past moment. What has happened to me, in other words, I've been put in prison, then he's saying, in the future, it will turn out for my deliverance. On the one hand, that makes a lot of sense. Only if he's expecting to be released from prison. But as I began to think about this, here's where I began to settle. I began to settle on this, and I put it this way, and I hope this is helpful. It's not just that deliverance comes when adversity is over. Rather, adversity itself is the means to deliverance. It's not just that deliverance comes when adversity is over. Let me put it that way, this way. When you have final exams in school, you feel like deliverance comes when you're done with the last one. Or you get back your grades and you at least pass some of them. All right? When that stress is over, that's when you feel the deliverance comes. What I would argue that Paul is saying is don't just look at adversity that way. In other words, in the health crisis you're facing, in the depression cycle you're in, in the anxiety you're in, in the worry that you're in, in the uncertainty that you're in, in the stress in your marriage that you're in, it is not just about looking for a future when you will be delivered from the pain of the moment. In that case, you're just trying to outlast and outweight adversity. I think what Paul is saying is see adversity for what it is. Adversity itself is the means to your deliverance. Adversity is the teacher of the moment. Adversity is the thing to pay attention to, not just to wait out. What is this moment teaching you about you? What can this moment allow in terms of your faith? expression. How is it that you can be delivered from even your very self and delivered to a place where Christ is exalted more and more in your life? Adversity isn't designed just so that you can develop patience to outweigh trouble. Adversity is indeed, adversity is indeed the very means that God uses to deliver us from some of the deepest lessons that we otherwise would not learn. And I wish it wasn't this way. God is willing to take you and me to the desert and leave us there that we may learn about his provision. That's what he did in the Old Testament. And that's what he's willing to do here. And unfortunately, whether I like it or not, it's what he's willing to do for you and for me. God doesn't provide just a path forward with no barn doors closing in our way. He never does that. And I would argue that what I see here with Paul is that he is saying, what has happened to me, it will turn out for my deliverance, but he doesn't know what that deliverance ultimately means. For him, ultimately, that means death. But what is he actually looking for? Look at, look at the yearning in verse 20. He says, I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed but will have sufficient courage so that now as always Christ will be exalted in my body. I hear Paul yearning for courage. I hear Paul being afraid that he might be weak enough not to make it. I hear him yearning 
that in the middle of the hardest things that come, he's asking now, like I'm yearning for now, eagerly expecting hope, that I'll have the courage to face what I'm currently facing. Can you relate to that? When you're facing your adversity, come on, what do we really all need? We need a courage to see it through, to have the vision, perspective, encouragement, the willingness to get up and try again, the grace to give ourselves when we've failed over and over and over again, this courage. He says, I need this courage. I need to be saved in a sense from myself, from my own weakness, from my own limitations. To put it this way, I think what, what Paul's saying here about adversity is that adversity delivers him from himself while also giving him a chance to exalt Christ. He says at the end that Christ will be exalted in my body. And I cannot emphasize just how unnatural this yearning is. Just how unnatural it is when we go through adversity to pause and be willing to learn about who in the world we are and how this moment of pain can serve to exalt Christ. Let's just be, let's just be simple and straightforward for a minute, all right? You're getting out of this, these rows of chairs. I'm sorry for those online, you're not able to relate, but you can figure this out. You can relate to this in a minute. Time, we're done in a few minutes, right? You'll get up, you'll walk out, and you, let's say you're wearing open-soled um, sandals, which I think are illegal after Labor Day. Is that right? But let's just say you had like sandals on and you stub your little toe on one of the arms of, or legs of these chairs. Is your first response to be like, praise Jesus that I'm going through adversity? I just heard a message on that, and let me just be thankful for the pain that I'm currently, okay, so no one ever does that. I don't ever do that. You don't ever do that. I mean, we, on the onset of pain, my interest is in deliverance, truly. Like, I, I want to get away from it. I don't want to stop and learn what is. If that is our instinct on the stub of the toe, it is absolutely my instinct when things get harder personally. When my kids are going wild, when I feel like a failure, when finances aren't working, when I feel the stress is all around me, when I'm unsure about serious faith issues, when my marriage has some cracks that even my spouse doesn't know about yet and I'm not sure where it's going to lead and communication has fallen apart, when I don't feel like I'm making the impact I could in terms of my own faith expression in my family or my business or my neighborhood, and I feel like a spiritual failure, I don't first think this is great that God is teaching me something about myself through adversity. I don't know if you do that, but I can't emphasize how unnatural it is to not simply outweigh adversity. And I think for Paul, he's seeing this is going to come for my deliverance. And here's something I need right now. I need some courage. And I want Christ to be exalted in what's happening right here. This is so, to me, unnatural. We want to get out of it. We don't want to just see what's in it. So how does one get there? How do you get to that point? I would argue the next verse is one you could memorize, and for me, it's probably a key to this whole thing. Verse 21. Some of you have memorized this before because it's short and simple. Maybe like me, those are easier verses for you to memorize. Verse 21, for to me, he says, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. That, I think, is what gets Paul there. For me, he says, for to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Now, I'll be honest, I'm not there. Here's what I would say if I were writing that. To live is Christ and to die is loss. That's how, I, that's how I mostly live. I don't know about you. So when I plan for my financial future, I do so because I don't want to face financial death. Like I want to have enough to pay the bills. Right? I don't know about you. I hurt, maybe you do too, when you experience relational death, 
friends who are now friends no longer for different reasons. That doesn't feel good. It hurts. I consider that a death. And I don't consider that a, a gain. That's not my instinct. A couple of years ago, I was taken to the hospital, which was a lot of fun. When the ambulance comes and takes you away to the hospital and your family is looking at you with tremendous worry on their face, and I'm not sure if I'm having a stroke or a heart attack or if my brain will work anymore like I thought it normally did, at least halfway functional, right? I'm not, in the, I'm not on the stretcher or whatever and being like, this is great. <laughs> God's teaching me stuff. Like, I'm not there. Like, I'm like, I want to avoid the death of what I'm used to I want to avoid the death of my natural abilities. And so I want to avoid all of that. Like, to, to die is gain? No it's, no, it's not. Like, I don't live that way by default. For me to live is Christ, he says, and to die is gain. And that is a game changer for how I see everything about me. Because if indeed that's true, if indeed that is true, then what is it that I have to hold on to in this life? What is it that's worth holding on to in this life? compared to the eternal hope of Christ. This is where Paul changes my mind. It helps me see it's so real to him. It's so real to him. Death isn't maybe quite as scary if there's nothing in this life that I'm afraid of losing. And I would argue it's the, it's the little deaths along the way to our final death that all, also help us see Christ. It's the little deaths of all that I just mentioned. It's the death of losing friendships. It's the death of letting yourself down. It's the death of cancer taking over your body or a loved one's body. It's all those deaths along the way where we have the opportunity to meet the grace of Christ in the middle of pain and loss. To die is gain. In that, in that vacuum, I meet Christ. I meet the only hope that can really carry the weight and burden of my soul. That's what it means. To gain is Christ. He's torn about this. Look at verse 22. If I go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet, what shall I choose? I don't know. I'm torn between the two. I desire to, to depart and to be with Christ, which is better by far. But it's more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain. And I'll continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that through my being with you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. So here's what I want to say is the nuance for me for adversity from this ancient letter from Paul. That contentment, that contentment sees adversity's advancements and not only its setbacks. Contentment, if you want to learn the secret of being content, contentment sees adversities advances and advancements, not only its setbacks. That's the nuance for me. Of course, by now in your life, you've encountered adversity. Of course, by now, you've had heartache and pain. Some of you greater, some of you lesser, whatever you want to call that. I'm not here to measure or weigh and compare them. We've all had grief and pain and loss. It has deeply touched us. And adverse, contentment sees adversity's advancements, not only its setbacks, so I have two questions and two caveats before I wrap up. Two questions to help. First question is this. How might this adversity deliver me from myself? When you're walking through adversity, whatever that is for you, and we've talked about a few different ones, how might this adversity 
that I'm currently dealing with deliver me from myself? And you might say, I have no idea. That's the dumbest question I've ever heard in my whole life. Who asks that? Do you really ask that, Tim? So here's the deal. Let's talk about this just for a minute. How might this adverse moment that I'm currently in help me for my deliverance? All right, what does that look like? Sometimes, like Paul, our courage needs to increase. Our courage needs to increase. We don't learn, and you know this, we don't learn the hardest lessons about ourselves when things are going well. We learn only the hardest and most essential things when truly God takes us to the desert and says, you have a good time here. Until the things that are deeply settled in your soul that are false gods get stripped from you and they will only be stripped from you because you will be in so much pain. And then you will wonder, where do I turn and where do I go? And all of a sudden, the things that maybe you and maybe I have relied on for years are stripped away. And I realize that for maybe a decade or two or three or 50 or 60 years, I've depended upon a false God of strength to get me through. I've depended upon a false God of beauty that I've wanted and needed to see the person looking back in the mirror to me to be better than what I see. Just lose a few more pounds. Make sure there's no more gray hairs. Make sure there's hair. Hey. I've had the false God of wanting people to like me for so long. And when this person betrayed me and they spoke ill about me, I realized maybe for the first time how painful it was to not be able to chase down all the rumors about me. <laughs> and I see in the middle of that pain, I needed to have this adversity deliver me from myself because I'm leaning on a false God, of pleasing people, of health, of financial strength. You've been smart enough to run an incredible business, to manage your finances well. You can pay every bill there is and more for the next decade or two, and maybe even for everybody in this room. What will strip us from the false God of financial security and trust in ourselves. What can possibly do that except tremendous adversity that bears our soul for what it is? Adversity has the opportunity to teach us something about ourselves. This is a gift that we can be courageous enough for faith, not just courageous enough to trust ourselves. So what can this adversity teach me about myself? Second question is this, how might this adversity exalt Christ? How might this adversity exalt Christ? So you're going through a thing, it's a big thing, a small thing. How might this moment where you're feeling unsure, whatever it might be, how might this adversity exalt Christ? How might it be that in this moment that you're in, you know this, all pain gives you a platform, whether it's a small platform talking to one or two of your friends, or a larger platform in your company, your business, or your family, or your neighborhood, or community. Maybe you're an author, an educator, or a leader in some other way, and you have a larger platform. You're an influencer of some kind. I don't know. Pain will give you a platform. And so how is it that the moments that you're going through that are rife with adversity, how will that platform or that space be one that can bring glory to Christ? How is it that we can speak not only of my own strength to get through, but of Christ's grace to meet me where death also met me? Of Christ's sufficiency to meet me where I had nothing else to offer. How might this adversity, how might this adversity exalt Christ? That was Paul's desire too. Now, this being said, two caveats. 
two caveats. And in listening to this, you might say, Tim, there needs to be 10 caveats, as I have a lot of questions, and I'm not sure that you're nailing what you're trying to say. So here we go, two caveats. First of all this, be honest, don't over-spiritualize. Here's what I mean. There can be a tendency for people who are extremely, uh, who have a high desire to please the Lord, to run by your current moment and just spiritualize it. Man, thank you, Lord, for that stub toe. It's amazing. Love it. Love the feeling of throbbing pain. No, you don't love the feeling of throbbing pain. You don't like the feeling of throbbing pain. I would prefer to avoid that. Let's be honest and say, I don't like this. This hurts. I don't want to hit my toe again. It hurts to lose people I love. It hurts to be in depression regularly. It hurts that I haven't met even my own standards for where I want to be. I'm missing my spouse. This hurts. Be honest. Don't over-spiritualize. We don't need to stay in the depths of despair, but we can't over-spiritualize and just push by it like you're not in prison. Yeah, we are. Let's be honest, like Paul was, listen, this is what happened to me. But I'm confident that these things will serve to advance the gospel. But here is where I am. Be honest of where you are. Don't over-spiritualize. Second is this. Timing is important. When you first stub your toe, that is not the time to praise Jesus. When you're going through from the jump in the first moments, I would bet when Paul was arrested in that moment, he wasn't ready to write Philippians. It came some time later. There is a time for grief, a time for mourning. And so if you're in that first moment, if you're just wrestling right now with some adversity, hear me, please. Give yourself some grace to allow a long view of this to come. There is a time for pain, mourning, and grief, and loss. Don't just rush into trying to make this moment right and better for you. Allow yourself to feel the loss of pain and grief. But also know there's a long view. And you may not be in that long view right now. That's okay. But know that it can come. There can be things that God can teach you in the desert and the hardship that will come. He'll teach you some things about the courage to trust him. He'll teach you some things about how this moment can exalt Christ through your life. But timing is important. Contentment. Contentment sees adversity's advancements and not just its obstacles or its setbacks. For to me, Paul writes, to live is Christ and to die to myself, to my hopes, to my dreams, to my very life, to die is gain. Will you pray with me? Our good God and heavenly Father, thank you for these words from the Apostle Paul from hundreds of years ago, writing from a prison cell in Rome, honestly telling us about his setbacks and how people out there were maligning his name, were hurting his reputation, were taking his platform, and he didn't care. Because that's not the fight to win that the hope of Christ can be known through us. That's the fight. That our adversity and our pain can serve to teach us not only about ourselves, but also what it means where death can be gained, where we can see the mercy of Christ meet us in our own disappointments, in our own hurts and pains, in our own disillusionments. So, Father, thank you for these words, and thank you for the Apostle Paul and your spirit's work in his life, and help us to remember adversity is the means to our deliverance. Adversity advances both us and the gospel. Thank you for your love and your care for us. In Jesus' name we pray.